our core verse this morning is uh, from the words of Jesus, and it helps us better understand God and better understand worship all in one. It is uh, John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I want to talk to us, uh, to you all today about what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. When Jesus first said these words about worshiping, he was talking to a Samaritan woman, and that was awkward for a few reasons before words were ever even exchanged. Uh, first of all, in that culture, a man and a woman typically wouldn't be talking alone like that. Secondly, Jesus was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. I uh, don't want to get into it too much, but Jews and Samaritans had a very long history of hostility between each other. Um, Jews would often go, rather go around Samaria, going from Judea to Galilee, instead of going through Samaria, just because they didn't want to even be around them. So already it's awkward. Uh, Jesus has gone into Samaria. He's, he's with this woman at a well, and things getting more awkward during the conversation. Jesus says, hey, why don't you go get your husband and come back? And this lady says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus replies, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. The man you're with now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Now she's really anxious to change the subject. It, it just got super awkward, right? So she steers the conversation away from focusing on her. And she asks Jesus about worship. Picking up in John 4:19, Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, the mountain she's talking about, it's Mount Gerizim. And they're, uh, they're talking in basically the shadow of Mount Gerizim when she asks this, which makes this question a little more tense. Like she's a local asking, well, we worship here. And do you think that's wrong? And Jesus answers her by guiding her mind away from this idea that worship has to be in a certain place. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time's coming where you're going to worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So she's asking, true worship, Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem? And Jesus is saying, soon you're not going to worship in either of those places. This is interesting because the Jews worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem, but we know that that temple was destroyed, 70 AD, so that's not even an option anymore. But think about this. Where is the temple of God now? It's inside each and every believer. As followers of Jesus Christ, Christians, we have each received his Holy Spirit inside of us. So God is spirit, he's everywhere, and his temples are all over the world. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So we know God is everywhere, his spirit's in us. We don't have to worry about where is the proper place to worship. True worship is not about a location. So we don't have to take a trip to the Holy Land, or we don't have to sit on the banks of the Jordan River to experience true worship. 
I would love to take a trip. That's one of the things I, I would like to do before I die is go over to the Holy Land. But it's not necessary for worship. True worship doesn't even have to occur in a church building. Over the years, I have worshipped in schools, theaters, camps, concerts, houses, vehicles, the woods, everywhere in between. You know, they're all places of worship. True worship is not about our location. It is about what is going on inside of us, in our hearts and in our minds. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Uh, true worship is also not about a certain style. Sometimes people in churches, they get bogged down in different forms of worship. You know, how long should the worship last? I remember listening to Ajay Law. He is from Central India, Christian Mission. Uh, he was speaking in America. He joked about how different the services are in India as opposed to in the U.S. He said, in India, they expect you to talk a long time. In America, he said, I've learned preaching shorter times equals more support for the mission. So I'm going to try to keep this short. And everybody laughed. But there are such differences when it comes to service times, depending on where you go. right? And, and there's no one length that's like, this is the correct length. Uh, sometimes people joke about how some songs can be repetitious here, but I know in other countries they they will sing a chorus like 15 times. I'm not exaggerating. They will really meditate on those words. I can't ever see us doing that 15 times. I think y'all might revolt. I don't know, but it's just not what we are used to, but that doesn't make our worship style better or worse than theirs. It's just different. So there's no set like you have to sing this many songs and this amount. You know, there's no certain um, service order either. Sometimes we get bogged down in a certain way of doing things where it's like, all right, so here's the program. We're going to do three songs and then we're going to do communion and then we're going to do this and then we're going to have our closing song. And that's fine to have, this is typically the way we do things, but you don't want to get bogged down into thinking this is the only way that is acceptable to do things. Uh, worship can be buried a lot. I know uh, sometimes since I've been here, we've uh, mixed up service a few times and be like, we're going to have singing and preaching just kind of spread out throughout this thing because um, worship is not dependent on a certain order of service. There is no one style or proper worship when it comes to the style of music. God can be praised in every form of of worship. Today, God is being worshiped around the world in China, in Africa, in Latin America, in the U.S., in country churches like this, and in the inner city, and in India. And in the, the worship sounds different in every one of these places because worship is not about a certain style of music. And true worship also has more than one posture. You know, as some people get bogged down. Should we be sitting down during worship or should we be standing up or should our heads be bowed or should our arms be raised? It can be all of the above. True worship encompasses more than one uh, order of service, more than one style, more than one posture. The Bible, when it talks about worship, it talks about it both as specific activities and also as a way of life. When you think of worship, maybe the first thing that you think of is coming to church like we're doing right now. Well, this is a 
specific activity. We call it public worship. Another name for it is corporate worship. And if you're like me and you hear corporate and you think of like businesses, that's that's not really where it goes. It's from the word corpus, uh, meaning body, uh, because we are the body of Christ. We're the corpus of Christ. And so we gather for corporate worship, for uh, public worship together. So uh, we see public worship mentioned in Hebrews 10.25. Um, if someone ever asks you, where in the Bible does it say I need to go to church? Uh, you can tell them Hebrews 10.25. Um, Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we need to be gathering for specific worship events, uh, public worship with believers, encouraging one another. Um, another specific activity of worship is private worship. Uh, we see an example of this by Jesus in um, we saw him in public worship too. He would go to the synagogues and teach and worship. But we see an example of private worship when it was still dark in the morning. Jesus would get up and go off by himself and pray. Uh, Psalm five three says, "In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly." So when we go to God in prayer alone or when we are in God's Word, reading our Bibles, reading Scripture, or when we are singing praise to God, um, we're by ourselves, or when we do an act of service for someone and only God sees, these are private acts of worship. So worship can involve a lot of specific worship activities by ourselves or with others. It's not just... The sing time is the worship time. It's way more than that. But in another sense, biblically, worship is a way of life. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So when we worship, we are giving God glory. And we can do that in whatever we do. Uh, we can play sports to the glory of God. We can do our jobs to the glory of God. We can spend time with our families to the glory of God. Uh, make our entertainment to the glory of God. And, you know, as Paul was saying, even when you eat or drink, let it be to the glory of God. Worship then becomes a way of life for us because we are trying to live to God's glory, live in whatever we do to give him glory. So, pick up in John 4.22. Jesus says to the woman, you Samaritans, worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, uh, Jesus is actually talking about himself there. Uh, he is the Jew that is going to bring salvation uh, for all mankind. And then he goes on, he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So Jesus repeats this idea to emphasize it there at the end. True worshipers will worship and must worship God in spirit and in truth. All right, so 
Nobody wants to be fake when it comes to life. Like, I don't want to be a poser in anything. And if you want your worship to not be fake, if you want to have authentic worship, if you want your worship to be acceptable to God, it needs to be in spirit and in truth. So what exactly does that mean? Let's break that down. Well, worship in spirit involves engaging your heart. Right? And I'm not just talking about the beating muscle. It's like when we say, hey, put your heart into it. We're talking about doing something with passion. Worship in spirit is not half-hearted. It is driven by love for God. It is giving Him our all. Love for God is key. Without love for God, there is no heart connection. There is no passion. So unless there is love for God, there is no true worship because there's no worship in the Spirit. Worship in the Spirit involves us uh, fulfilling the greatest command, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength. It is wholehearted. It's all in. And then we have worship in truth. Now this involves worshiping with our mind. It is also fulfilling the greatest command. One of the things Jesus said, to love God with all your mind, with all of our minds. So worship in truth, this is worshiping with a properly informed view of God. It is worshiping God as he has revealed himself to us in scripture. What I mean is that our worship must align with the truth about Jesus, about his person, about his work, about who he is and what he has done uh, for us and what he continues to do for us. God forbid we ever sing heresy or speak heresy. Now, sometimes there are people that want to lean one way or the other in this when it comes to worship. Some people's goal in worship is just a feeling. Um, You know, they, they want to feel this connection with God, this kind of heightened awareness of God it's, it's like a worship high that, that you get sometimes. I, mean, I love that feeling. It is great to get that feeling. Um, that's a gift from God. But we need to know that feeling alone doesn't equal true worship. All right? Uh, it's critical that we involve our heart, that we have passion, that we have love, but not at the expense of the mind. Truth is important. All right? Uh, if you get this worship high, but it's on some false doctrine that somebody is saying, it, like you're getting all worked up by a, a, a false preacher, it's, that's, that's not good. Um, we need to make sure that it's not just heart, but, but also that it's heart and mind, that we are thinking through what we're saying, that we believe it, that we know it to be true in Scripture. Uh, we also need to make sure that we don't lean the other way that we're really into the truth of God, but we're not really emotionally connecting with him. I heard a preacher one time say, I often wish that we wouldn't sing or have music, but that we could just simply see and say the words and the lyrics that express the biblical truth. I don't like being distracted by the emotions that come when we sing to musical accompaniment. I heard that and I was like, distracted. Feeling emotion, connecting to God, is not a distraction. It is a gift. 
You understand worshiping God in truth, but not in spirit, if you're thinking, I don't like the emotion. If you take away the heart, you get people that don't feel love for God, but they're just going through the emotions, right? So this is what Jesus warned about when he said in Matthew 15, 8, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And John Piper talked about this. He said, truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. It is dangerous to try to separate worship in spirit from worship in truth and just choose one. And God doesn't want us to do that. And Jesus said we will worship in spirit and truth, engaging our heart and our mind. So we don't pick just one. We engage all of ourselves in worship. And it makes sense that God wants us to worship in spirit and in truth. After all, God is spirit and truth. God is spirit. His Holy Spirit lives inside of us as believers. Jesus is truth. It says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, Mark Moore sums it up this way. He says, we honor the Father as experienced through Jesus by the indwelling of the Spirit. So what does worship in spirit and in truth look like? Well, I hope you got it from before. It can look more than one way, but it, let, me, let me give you a few ways. Number one, true worship is recognizing God's position. God is not our equal. He is our superior. Uh, there was a shirt a while back. Uh, I saw it as a Jesus is my homeboy. Uh, he is way more than your homeboy. He is your savior. Um, it's, I, I get what they were trying to say, like, you've got a friend in Jesus, but Jesus is more than your buddy. He is your savior. He is your God. And it's, it's a little demeaning to forget that relationship. He is not our equal. He is our superior. He is king of kings. He is sovereign he is our Lord. He is not just uh, the man upstairs. He is the unexplainable offerer and sustainer of all creation. And so he's not to be taken for granted. He's not to be trifled with. A true worship with our heart and with our mind, it involves reverence. There's this word for worship. It's the word that's actually used in John 4.24. The Greek for it is proskuneo. Proskuneo literally means to kiss toward. And, and what you want to picture in this is the idea of when people would enter a king's throne room, they would bow down and they would kiss the ring. It's like respect, but different. I can show respect to all sorts of people. It's just good manners. But I only show reverence to God, right? Reverence. 
And so the best worship posture to describe this part about respecting God's position would not be the arms raised, it's the bowing down. I'm not saying that's the only one, but it is certainly a worship posture. All right? As Psalm 95, verse 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. Number two, true worship gives God glory and praise. Now, when we say we give God glory, and this is in all sorts of songs, you know, we give you glory. Well, if you want to get technical, we don't give God glory. Um, he already has it all. <laughs> we simply recognize God's glory. Uh, this glory already belongs to God alone. We sing, you know, glorify your name, glorify your name, glorify your name in all the earth. Well, we're not filling up God's glory meter with our praise, it's already all the way to the brim. What we are really doing is recognizing that he is worthy of every bit of glory in the world. And so we give him the glory and the praise, or we recognize the glory that he has uh, whenever we praise him, whenever we worship. And when we praise God, we are recognizing God for who he is and for what he has done for us. When we recognize God for who he is, well, God's amazing. All you have to do is describe God and you are praising him. The omnipotent, the omniscient, the omnipresent, the one and only, the holy, 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 the almighty, the loving, the creator, the sustainer, the one who does all things well. Francis Chan once said, isn't it a comfort to worship a God that we can't exaggerate? I love that saying. You can't take it too far in describing how awesome God is. If anything, we know that our words and that our imaginations always fall short of capturing his brilliance. We also praise God, not just for who he is, but for what he has done for all of our blessings. Um, you know, during our, our prayer time a couple weeks ago, we have a whole station of thanksgiving uh, to do just this. And just hey, write down everything that you can think of that you're thankful for in these three minutes. And it's never uh, a complete list. You could always just keep going and going and going because we have so many blessings from God to be thankful for. Chris Tomlin, you know, he's written a lot of the worship songs that churches sing uh, today. He says, worship comes from a thankful heart. It comes from a place of love for God, a place of gratitude, and just wanting to say thank you so much for all the good in my life. You're so good. Thank you for what you have done for me. And finally, true worship involves sacrifice. The first time worship's ever mentioned in the Bible, it's in Genesis 22.5. Um, Abraham's going to worship. God has told him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. You might say, why would God do that? I mean, this was his miracle child from God. Didn't even have him until Abraham was 100. God asked him to sacrifice. Because worship involves giving God our best. The best 
of who we are, the best of what we have. Abraham trusted that God knew best, and so he was willing to give his best. And when we trust that God knows best, then we are willing to give him our best. When we worship with the best of who we are, we don't hold back. Like we said before, it's not half-hearted. Worship is always going to cost you something. Just being here right now costs you some time, some energy, some resources. You know, when we give to God, we give our best, and it is an act of worship. When we serve others, it's a sacrifice, but we're serving to honor God and to glorify Him. That is an act of worship. All right? A life of worship cost us something. But the blessings and the rewards that we have already received and that we will receive are so much greater than anything that it costs us. As we come to our invitation time today, we know that God ultimately, he provided a ram for Abraham to sacrifice, so he didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. But it was a foreshadowing of what God would do for us through Jesus. God did sacrifice his son for us. He did give us his best, his one and only son, out of love for this world so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. He is the truth. Our worship has to be through him, and his name is Jesus. He is the reason that we live, the reason that we move, the reason that we have our being. And if you need to make him the Lord of your life, let his spirit change your heart I want you to come see me. We're going to stand and sing, Change My Heart, O God. Would you stand with me? Change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. May I be like you. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you.